Welcome to the Field Sales Leadership Guide podcast, where we discuss with experienced and successful sales leaders what works and what doesn't in the sales profession. Join us as we tap into high-performing sales leaders and their passion for field sales. We've lined up for you some of the smartest movers and shakers in sales leadership to share their formulas for success and the tricks of the trade. Join us as we pull back the curtain, giving you actionable insights and strategies that you can use with your sales team. Welcome back to another great episode. Our guest today out of Knoxville, Tennessee, Joe Anderson with Royal Brass and Hose. He's closing in on his eighth year there. Having started out as a sales manager, was promoted within the last year as director of field sales. Joe, welcome and thank you for joining Mary and I this morning. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. We've been excited to have you. I've, uh, I've had several interactions over the last couple of years with you, and I've, I've quickly become a big fan. Before we dive into to anything today, at a high level, give the listeners a, a little bit of background. of Who is Joe Anderson? I'm a father of three kids. My, my two oldest, well, my oldest daughter is, is now married. My son just proposed. So he'll, he will be getting married in uh, 2025. Oh, that's so exciting. That's, that's a whole different stage of life there. That's exactly. Awesome. I still have a 19 year old at home. My wife and I, things are tr- changing quite a bit. We're not quite empty nesters, but it's getting close. Wow. So it, it's crazy. I'm a avid golfer. I didn't say a great golfer. I'm just an avid golfer. I <laughs> like to golf all the time and a huge uh, Tennessee Vols football fan. And also a Pittsburgh Steelers for, for the NFL. That's kind of who I am personally. Those of you that are not able to see us during this, if you're audio only, right over my right shoulder is an authentic Pittsburgh Steelers football helmet. So you guys can, can picture that if you're not seeing us. Joe, thank you for sharing that. Mary, one of the ways that we always start out is just, just asking Joe, like, how did you get into sales? And I think, uh, I think Mary specifically with her background wants to know about like, why manufacturing sales as well. Yeah, I, I started out on the uh, technical side, uh, had a few different jobs in that field, but sales always seemed exciting to me. It, it's something that I thought I would be really good at it. I feel like I can read people. I'm good at talking, making people feel comfortable. So I, I finally had an opportunity to jump to the manufacturing side. The company was was Gates Corporation, and I was a district sales manager selling in the automotive aftermarket, selling to WDs and automotive jobbers. That may be weird terms, but in that, that industry, that's, that's commonplace. So I sold um, serpentine belts, tensioners, water pumps, and hydraulics. But hydraulics was always my passion. If you've talked to sales reps, you know there's like one product line they feel like they're more comfortable at and want to push. That was me with hydraulics. Gates also had an industrial side where they sold directly to distributors and OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. And I jumped over to the industrial side to sell hydraulics, industrial hose only. And, you know, that was, again, my passion. I sold in that market, had different roles throughout Gates, pro specialist, business development. My last few years with Gates, I really developed a relationship with Royal Brass and Hose. Their president at the time asked me to be a sales manager, come and work with them, take over half the, uh, the sales force. So I jumped from the manufacturing side to the distribution side. Big changes. Mm-hmm. You know, one big change is margin. 
manufacturing side, you know, you're as a sales rep, you're you're focusing on just volume and dollars, not so much the margin. So distribution was exciting new. So jumped over that. We started making a lot of changes, but the problem with roll brass and hose, we had two sales managers covering all of our territory managers, and we had some end-user sales reps that were working under the branches. About a year ago, a year and a half ago, we started talking about reorganizing our sales force, bringing them all together, making sure that we're um, using the same selling process, same training, all this information. Then we wanted a smaller ratio between sales rep and sales manager to have that more coaching, more ride-alongs, working with them hand-in-hand. We brought that in, created four regions, promoted some branch managers, sales rep. Now we have four sales managers that report up to me. And then uh, we have 29 sales reps that are either territory manager or account manager. That's kind of me. I've, I, I miss jumping in the trenches. You know, the sales call part of it's still fun, working a deal, solving a problem. But I actually love my new role. It's, it's more about uh, enacting change, influencing people, finding talent, and of course, strategic planning. So that, that's kind of me in sales. That's a great background. I, uh, I'm grateful for the, for the intel there. I always get excited. And Mary, I know you do too. Whenever you hear somebody start in the outside sales leadership world, you said one word in there that is unbelievably sorely lacking with outside sales and it's process. You'd be blown away with how infrequent outside sales leadership brings that word into any conversation when they're talking about a go-to-market strategy and revenue. So before we dive deep into that, can you give just a little bit of info for the listeners around Royal Brass and Hose, company size, locations, customer base, who you're serving, things like that? Royal Brass and Hose, again, is a uh, industrial distributor focused on the uh, fluid power market, hydraulic hose, adapters, things like that. We are turning 75 next year. We have been a family-owned business for most of our, our tenure. And then one of the owners left the company, and now we're 30% ESOP, and the other owner still has 70% of the business. We have uh, 10 locations, one little satellite location. We cover probably three-quarters of the U.S., very strong in the Southeast, Southwest, Midwest. That's kind of it about roll breasts and hose. Can you share a little bit about the makeup or the uh, maybe size demographic tenure of the reps as well? We kind of cater three different customers. I'll get into that first. We have what we call the end users, which is makes a whole lot of sense. And that end user, what they want to solve is production uptime, preventive maintenance, that kind of thing. Then we sell to OEMs. And that's when our product goes on a piece of equipment and is sold. And then our last type of customer is a, a channel partner. We're more of a wholesale distributor. 55% of our business is selling to other channel partners that are buying our bulk product and going through that channel to the end user. Our sales revenues about $90 million. Sales reps, we have 29 We are now getting a lot of newer reps coming on. For many years, we had a very what's the term, experienced sales force. My first six years with Roll Brass and Hose, I think I had six retirees and maybe one or two that left the company for other reasons and just 
onboarding new reps like crazy. So the last 10 years, we look at it and our sales force maybe has five reps that were with Roll Brass and Nose before 10 years ago. So it's, it's, it's changed dramatically. And our, our range, we're probably around 40 years old is the average age now. When I came on board, it was probably 53 was more of the average age. That's changed a lot. You ever had those moments in life where you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm the old person <laughs> now. I'm 42. Yeah. Throughout my career, that's just never happened before. So like I'm having a little bit of a slap in the face moment there for me. So thanks, Joe. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Marriott, do you want to dive in with anything yet or add anything? No, that's fantastic. I mean, it would just be moving the conversation along. So I'm, I'm sure I'm stealing your thunder here, JT. But I would love to hear, Joe, just like that last point you just made. You have this new sales force. It's completely revamped, really. You're bringing on a ton of new people, not only in the last 10 years, but looking forward to. How did you change the sales culture there? And how has that shifted the way that you approach the sales culture within Royal Brass and Hose? The sales culture, and I don't want this to sound negative at all. We had, again, a long tenured experienced sales reps for maybe that first 65 years. I'm not, I'm just saying over the years, we're more of like a lone wolf type of sales rep. If you've used that, heard that terminology from uh, Challenger and stuff, they felt like the customers were theirs. We're always very protective, isolated again, that lone wolf. They had their routes, you know, one being their different quadrants, certain weeks that knew where they were going to be. But it was a lot of just visits, not focusing on opportunities. And so a lot of things that we're changing is going back to our sales process. And even though we want our mapping, the mapping technology from my customers, our sales funnel is really our GPS. That is really telling you where you need to go, where your priorities are, where you should be focusing your time. It's where your deal's at and the stages and where you're going to be. So we're changing a lot of that and not necessarily saying, hey, you're not a mobile customer service person. You are a sales rep. Where you're going to go, it's where that opportunity is, where you become a value creator for our customer. Let me chime in and please correct this. When you were saying GPS based on the deal stage, is it a correct transition or analogy to say that like the rep should be spending time with the accounts that are nearest to revenue. Is that what you mean by GPS and deal stage? Right. We, we have certain stages that we feel like if that deal is in stage three, that means that decision maker has either committed funds or wants to fix, avoid, or accomplish something. And we kind of have 30 days where that deal needs to move forward. It's pretty hot and that should be a high priority. So that's what we're saying is, hey, if, if part of growing, you know, that's what a sales rep is hired for, is to grow their territory. Where is your revenue? Where's that the deal? I'm working this to close this. And then you're looking at other things too. Okay, maybe my my leads, my stage zero, my ones, twos. Do I have enough of those opportunities in my funnel to make quota by end of the year? And that's what I kind of mean about the the funnel is your GPS. It's it's telling you where you need to go. Who am I going to see? What am I going to talk about? Etc. Let me ask this clarification for the listeners as well. Is there an account manager role on the rep shoulders as well in terms of protecting the existing customer base or are they only new business? 
No, with us, and you know that that's one part of again work, working our deals is our sales reps, whether they're a territory manager or account sales rep, they still have a lot of maintenance. There's no hunter; it's it's their accounts, so they're still doing a lot of you know training, troubleshooting, things like that, helping that customer, but also developing a relationship with that value to find new opportunities. No, we don't have like inside sales maintaining that account. Got it. We've mentioned the word sales process many times. We're going to get into that in a moment. Real quickly, outside sales leaders and reps, they're all across the board. Some are two meetings a day, three days a week. Others are, they better be in the field every single stinking day, four to six to 12 meetings a day. Where does where does RBH fall in this? How many days in the field? How many stops a day? That's always a great question. And we want our sales reps facing customers as much as possible. I'm really big on preparing for those sales calls. I don't want to say, hey, if it's five calls a day, are those a valued sales call? Are you just saying, hey, I'm I'm in this quadrant. I'm in this part of my territory. I'm going to call on these accounts. Even if I'm calling on my A accounts, that's fine. There, there. Sometimes you have to do that. But if I'm going there, if I'm spending money for fuel, staying in a hotel, whatever it is, I better have a plan that's going to be generating revenue, right? We don't have specific metrics where you're making six calls a day. We're working on measuring those activities that generate the best revenue. And we want to, to study that data and start having not a mandatory quota for certain amount of activities. But this way, if, if we had the data in there, we can coach to that saying, hey, your, your revenue's down, but you're not making enough of these calls to decision makers. You're not doing a hydraulic crimp replacement, things like that, that really generate sales for us. And, and we don't have that data yet. That's something we're working on. Is that process related that you don't have that? Yes. Okay. Good deal. Mary, you're going to laugh, but um, actually, Joe, you may you may have seen this, but your, your doppelganger, Joe McDonald at Jasper Engines and Transmissions, he's got this saying of sales hides all sins. Mm-hmm. Underperforming reps in the right territory at the right time, they could actually do very well. The revenue numbers hide their lack of talent or lack of effort, which ultimately can really provide some really large potholes down the line. When the economy changes or shifts a little bit and you don't have those processes in place to identify, well, you didn't do A, B, and C, therefore a dry season is coming. Right. I heard Joe say that on one of the podcasts as well. And and I was like, he is dead on. There's cases and you can look at the last two years where inflation, the economy jumping back in. If you weren't making quota, (laughs) something's really wrong. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Yeah. We have those hot territories as well. or a sales rep coming into a mature territory and not taking that next jump and growing those accounts. And yes, uh, we do need data to see what's going on to help coach that sales rep. You know, we feel that all of our sales reps has the talent. Otherwise, we wouldn't have hired them. But part of our, our deal as sales leaders is we've got to have those conversations with them, find out you know, what they're doing right, looking at maybe other leaders, uh, other uh, high performers, what are the things they're doing and how can we coach that, get others to do it? So that's that's part of our management. This might be unfair to ask, 
on the heels of your lone wolf comments. And, and to be clear, there are inherent good qualities of the lone wolf because they do take ownership of their account patch and like they take those relationships that they've built very seriously. But there's also very clear downsides to the lone wolf as well. So that long winded transition is to ask if you have a top performer that's a lone wolf, how have you made sure that you have the data of what Jimmy the lone wolf has done to be able to replicate it for Bobby, who's the new rep coming into the territory to say, don't be the same person as Jimmy the lone wolf, but do all of his actions. Just give us the data. One thing that um, I think I've tried to do, we don't have as many lone wolves as we had in the past, but I like seeing little clicks or group of sales reps that talk all the time. They feed off each other, give good information about competitive situations, what they're winning, what they're doing right. If I see a lone wolf, especially if they're doing a lot of right things, I'm going to force them into a little click and have them kind of mentor the other reps in a way. Yeah. They may not know that I'm doing it, but that's that's my game plan. <laughs> I think that is so important to have that relationship with the other team members. That's awesome. Mary, uh, where, where would you like to go? I would love to hear more about maybe like some of those metrics you would like to eventually track, Joe. So you said a quality call right now is much different. Like you want quality over quantity for sure. So Quality, you mentioned stuff like decision maker. What are they discussing? Is there anything else that you think makes a really good quality call? There are a few things. We have a lot of differentiators from our competition, why we win. We have to be doing these activities. And some of them that we came up is is training. We also are really big on converting products, uh, uh, specifically hydraulic crimpers. In our industry, we sell a hydraulic hose and a hydraulic coupling. You have to permanently crimp that coupling on a hose. And that's the magic is that tool. You know, we want to know where all those crimpers are, how many are placed per year, because that that is a great KPI for a top performer. They're always going to be placing crimpers. We want business reviews at least two times a year with customers. I don't know if I really mentioned it a lot. 55% of our business is like channel partners, and it's usually long-term customers that are buying from us daily, weekly, monthly. We want business reviews with them. What we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. What is another vendor that maybe is not in our industry? What is something unique they're doing? How can we make that customer's life easier? Uh, we work on plans of how to go target that new market, that new customer. That way you have both the customer and the sales rep focused on the right thing instead of pulling against each other. So those business reviews, those training situations, things around hydraulic crimp replacements, conversions is huge for us. And that's that's the key measurements. Mary, I'm instantly thinking of Luke Wittenberg with MacTech whenever he said why we win. I don't know whether you caught that episode. He brings in once a quarter each rep has to bring in the top two or three deals that they sold and they and he puts them on the spot. Why did you win this deal? Why did you win this deal? And like, there's always a unique theme as to why they won. And then they lead with that in all of their interactions, even with the cold knocks and penetrating new accounts. I love that. I think that's a, that's a great thing to do and sorely missed in the outside sales world. We have never done that as much as Luke has. Back when I was a sales manager, when we had regional meetings, 
about every other meeting, we would tell the sales rep, hey, when you come in, you know, you're going to give you a little five minutes spiel about your territory. But yes, I want to hear that great story, that one that, that's unique, that, that you're really passionate about, that one closed deal that was so big. Hearing that is great information on it, for sure. I would be totally remiss with this. And I've been in software as a service selling for 15, 16 years. And I'm, I'm saying this, getting a little bit of heart palpitations because I don't like doing this. But Todd Capone, I don't know whether you've ever read his book, The Transparency Sale. From a character perspective, I think you'll line up so incredibly well with this gentleman, Joe, if you're not following him already. Todd Capone, he used to be the chief revenue officer at Power Reviews, if I remember correctly. doesn't matter. They would celebrate the losses. He did this whole countercultural shift of JT just lost a huge deal. Let's get the company together and dissect this. We're not going to tear them apart. We're all going to learn collectively on what we could have done better. Should we even have spent time with this deal in the first place? And it was just this mind shift of spend times with the right accounts that you actually have a great chance of winning and learning from like, what's the mantra? Lose together, win alone. If you're not following him, Todd Capone, look him up on LinkedIn. He's a, he's a great follow and a great leader. We kind of have our close win rate at 33%. You know, at first, a lot of the sales reps wanted to delete their losses. They're like, no, I want to keep things. As long as you're above above 300, you get to the Hall of Fame yeah, in baseball. Exactly. Like, that's there. <laughs> so I definitely want to keep all those losses. And, and I love how I met my customers as the loss reason. So we go back and look at that. In our deals, we like to attach files. When I talked about hydraulic crimper conversions, I want the story placed in that deal and kept so a sales rep can refer back to that closed one deal and show a customer what it looks like. You know, a sales rep could be explaining what we do well, but pictures, files explain it better than, than a words of a new sales rep, especially trust. So we love that in our one deals too. And I, I know I'm probably getting in the, the weeds with that, but that's something huge that I like to have that success story tied to a deal and kept there for history to, to use as a referral. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's part of the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to hold up and replicate. I love that. Mary, anything that you want to add before we, uh, should we dive into like tech stack? I always kind of chuckle with outside sales teams when we talk tech stacks. That's exactly where I wanted to go to JT. So like, not only talking, you know, what your tech stack is, which is cool and important and everything, but you sent us some really great notes on your kind of like history with sales technology. I would love to hear a little bit about what you experienced when you were a rep, a manager, and then how that shifted or changed your perspective when you came on to Royal Brass and Hose. Yes, I'd, I'd love to get into this. You know, coming from the manufacturing side, bigger corporation, we were forced to, to use Salesforce.com, computers, Excel, PowerPoints, you name it. When I went to the distributor side, it was still a lot of paper and catalogs and telephones. That's it. Even our e-commerce when we first, when I first moved to Roll Brass and O's, was nowhere where um, I expected it. The sales rep almost felt value that they made the deal when they made the visit because they were going to write down the order. 
maybe discounted or something like that. And I'm talking about our first 65 years. We, we've made a lot of changes. We've had an ERP system that went in 1996. And that particular ERP system that we still have right now was probably state-of-the-art at the time. And it has great purchasing data. I still love the reports that I pull out of it right now. Profitability about a customer, their product line mix, the actual part numbers, you know, sales, margin, margin percentage, how many invoice. There's so much information I can get from our ERP system, but we have to either mail out hard copies of that or some type of spreadsheet. Our older sales reps, maybe we're not so tech savvy with a computer. They couldn't grab this data and use that to, to leverage that and help them plan their calls and, and their performance. And we've made a lot of changes. We, we have taught them how to use a lot of tools. We're using more iPads than computers, but it, it's more data that way. So talking, you know, really specific, you know, your CRM, your ERP, you know, we're throwing around a lot of acronyms. How do you feel like your new, the way that you use Map My Customers or your CRM has kind of shifted that culture within Royal Brass and Hose? Like how does it contribute to the sales reps doing their job? First of all, the big thing is we never had a CRM. Our current president and myself is a strong believer in our sales process, which we call the buy cycle. And we had to do this on a spreadsheet with formulas that was emailed out. Sales rep had to populate it. We had used VLOOKUP to bring in some sales numbers. We would do these funnel audits with the sales rep. And most of our time was spent fixing formulas, administrative little work. So the funnel would actually work. And you know, one of my big ideas when we went when I first came to Brass and Hose is we have to have some type of CRM system and automate our funnel process and our funnel audits. Otherwise, I give up. I, I just get frustrated. So we were looking around and I'm really going to throw a lot of uh, kudos to to map my customers. During this time, I was hiring for my third open sales territory. And I was doing the interviews plus trying to fill in for that territory and I'm pulling out our manual reports and I'm trying to think about where am I going to go? <laughs> Who am I going to see? You know, I wasn't so focused on the deals because this was an open territory. It's more about making sure they knew what was going on. But I would go visit an account. I look at our profile and I'd ask for Tom and they'd say, well, you know, Tom died 10 years ago or, or he left the company, you know, and I'm like, okay, this customer's been buying from us for 20 years. And I don't even know the decision makers. I don't know any of the, the key contacts. And so I was like, oh, I've got to find something and met my customers. I played around with it. This was the early stages before Apollo came on board and I loved it. I customized it. We use our funnel audits right through Map My Customers. It's live data. We, that has saved us so much time. And onboarding, oh my goodness. You know, trying to have a map and put stickers of where customers are at versus, hey, here's your tiered customers. Mm. I can zero in on certain industry codes, certain dollars, certain margins, certain product lines, who has certain types of hydraulic crimpers, where are you going to go? You know, you, you have a sales rep and you're going to teach them your product, why we win, why we lose, 
all of our internal workings, but how do they go make sales calls? The mapping system and the tiered customers and using Map My Customers has made onboarding tremendously easier. I love hearing stories like that. I, uh, as you were going through this, two things came to mind. Number one, when outside sales teams don't have the right CRM in place, it actually, if you think about it, it actually promotes the lone wolf mentality, right? Like these are my notebooks on the floorboard of my truck. Those are my post-it notes on the dashboard of my car. Everything is, I'm forced to do it myself. I ran into a, a, a team just a few weeks back and they had a, a affectionately nicknamed one of their top reps, the Almanac guy. And like, how is that scalable or repeatable? When that guy sails off into the retirement sunset, like, is he going to give his 30 by 30 almanac to the next rep with his little post-it notes and Sharpie uh, marker notes inside of his his almanac? It makes me chuckle, but I, I will very affectionately say, it. man, is it endearing to me that outside sales reps for years have come up with ways to drive relationships, drive revenue without the proper fundamental tools in place. That was one of the hardest things to, uh, and it's still hard to get the adoption going is I think my sales team does, I know they do a lot of right things, but they all have different ways of doing it. I don't know about you, but I need more consistency, you know, and and having a platform where everyone puts down the right notes, how you're marking your deals, You know, we want contacts. We want to identify them, whether an advocate, uh, HIP, decision maker, or just a a, a general contact. There's so much things in there that we need consistency. And you don't have that without a platform like a CRM system. I mentioned earlier that um, I had experience with Salesforce.com. I liked it if I was in my office all the time on the web, but it was not focused for the field person. To me, it was all about executive level, and even management. I don't even think it was really good information for the regional sales manager. I wanted something where a sales rep could be in their car, could put in some notes on their mobile phone, or check out a lead, look at their deals, everything from a phone. And then if they want to go back in the evening, or or if they have an office day, they can get on the web version and update it. But it had to be a tool that's a sales rep thought it was valuable. And I look at it, if I was a sales rep, this is what I'd want to use. That's why Matt, my customers was so important to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mary, what else for us right now? Joe, like I would like to you to talk just a little bit, just give a few sentences if you don't mind. You said like it was kind of difficult that adoption at the outset. And I think that is kind of like a big obstacle whenever you're bringing on something that's completely new, like people are just kind of naturally resistant to it. So what do you think like helped you like overcome that barrier? I think there was a a few things that we had adoption problems. The first one was my baby bringing on, I was pushing my sales reps at the time to use it. But our operations wasn't taking advantage of it. Maybe the other sales reps weren't. Now, and the new roles and the new expectations are put in place that this is how we're going to be running all of our monthly funnel audits. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Probably haven't mentioned this. We're in the middle of an ERP change. So we are kind of running two systems until we get switched over to D365. And then we're going to use Map My Customers. I know this term has been used a lot. It's more of the tip of the spear. It's going to be bolted on. And then all of the APIs are talking and everything's updated. 
So right now we, we don't have the adoption across the whole company I want. That'll happen with the ERP change. But it's, again, this is how we're going to manage our monthly funnel audits. It is through my, my customers. And the more things that we work on as sales leaders in the company, we will be adding that in there as how we can measure it. You know, there, there's a lot of things that interest me, want data, you know, back to those activities. But I'm trying to increase the velocity of the sales cycle, try to get the stages moving quicker. You know, right now, some of our deals have some really long lead time. I'm seeing little things like maybe at stage one, it jumps to a one deal. Why didn't it go through those other stages? Are, are you <laughs> not putting in the details that will help you understand that? Uh, because I do feel the more you're using the tool, it's also going to help your actual sales call. You're going to be following those stages through our, our sales funnel. I appreciate everything you just said and what we've seen the most success with. And I'm going to steal another line from Joe McDonald of measure what matters. I've seen it time and time again. And my personal experience with, with large CRMs at other organizations, when I'm, when I'm using Salesforce, a required field inside of a deal is put in so that marketing can run some sort of attribution report. And then three years later, it's still required to put in. Nobody on the marketing team even remembers requiring that. There's no report being done. And I can't figure out how to save my stinking deal when I put notes in there because I'm still missing a required field. That's the stuff that gives inside sales reps nervous ticks, let alone an outside sales rep. They're like, I'm not doing that. If you make it unbelievably easy while helping them understand the value of that data, you end up with a winning combination. So I, I appreciate all you just shared. Final question, Joe, wrap up. Is there anything else you just wish more people knew about you as a sales manager or Royal Brass and Hose as a company? What I'd like for people to know more about me is if you can't tell, I smile a lot and I'm very enthusiastic and positive. I want people to know that I'm here to help them grow. I want people to be successful around me. And that's our customers, that's our sales reps. That's our operations, everything. How can I influence that? that that's kind of, of me. Roll Brass and Hose, our company is more or less everyone understanding what we bring to the table, all of our differentiators. Customer growth and satisfaction, that is our motto. We want to provide exceptional service. That's perfect. Thanks, Joe. That is perfect. The mantra there and personally and culturally from Royal Brass and Hose is putting others first. That's the resounding theme there. So um, I'm grateful for that. And uh, that's a leader I'd follow anywhere. So keep up the great work. Thank you to our listeners. Joe, thank you for joining Mary and I. Uh, what a treat this was for us. We're grateful for the, the RBH partnership and looking forward to many interactions in the years to come. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. 